0: Let's now get into our main topics today, shall we? And how do we select our main topics here on The John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them. See, whenever you come across a big topic or a subject that you think we should have as a main subject here on the show, just head on over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe... You might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one here, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Tomas. And Tomas writes Hey, John and Rob, with AMC about to file for bankruptcy, it looks like that might be inevitable. I was wondering why big movie studios like Disney don't buy or build their own theaters all the money generated from movies would go straight to them and they in turn would make all the profits. No? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And listen, you are not the first person, Tomas, to, to be raising that question right now. Now, of course, for a long time, there had been in Hollywood these things called the Paramount Decrees that had been around for decades. And basically, they're more complicated than this, but the basic gist is The Paramount Decrees made it illegal for studios to own movie theaters. They just recently last year struck down the Paramount Decrees, so the door is now open. However, just because you can do a thing doesn't necessarily mean you should do a thing or that you would even want to do a thing. So in this context, we have a lot of people asking, well, why don't now the studios just step in and and own the movie theaters? And we've talked about this a lot, but I'm glad you wrote this in, Thomas, because here's the thing. Studios, at the end of the day, they do not want to own movie theaters. They have no interest in owning movie theaters. They really don't. For a couple of reasons. That's a huge amount of money you got to spend to get them. And if you're somebody like Disney who just dropped $73 billion to buy Fox, you don't have a lot of spare pocket change around right now. Any money you do have, you're kind of putting into content and Disney Plus and all that kind of stuff. So you don't really have it. But here's really the bottom line. The bottom line is the reason theaters aren't interested in getting into the movie theater game can really be split into two parts. Part number one, they know nothing about the movie theater game. So that's one thing to kind of stay stay and keep in mind. The second and probably most important part is the fact is something that we talk about around here on the show all the time, which is the fact that the movie theater industry has insanely small margins, which means, you know, just for example sake, if it costs a theater a million dollars to stay in business, they probably make 1.1 or 1.2 million dollars. They don't have a lot of room there. If they suddenly lose 30% of their income, suddenly now, instead of making one to $200,000 in profit, they actually make less than what they need to keep the lights on and they go out of business. The studios understand that. That's why they've always liked their relationship with movie theaters doing their thing because they know we don't want to do it. We'd rather have you do it. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of studios preemptively coming out and saying, nope, we have no interest in buying movie theaters, whatever, because there's just – people think like, Rob, here's the thing about movie theaters. And understandably so, because today you go to these movie theaters and they look like these giant temples of the movies, right? And, and they're great and they're glorious. And so it creates this impression for us. People think that, oh, wow, movie theater business, you're rolling in money. The reality is it's really not. And it's it's razor thin margins and all that kind of stuff. And it's just not something that the, the theater or the studios – Really want to be a part of, or or be involved in in any way, shape, or form. So I don't know, Rob. If somebody were to ask you, you know, hey, why doesn't Disney just buy AMC or something like that? How would you respond to that? Well, for this
1: pretty much what you just said, but remember, I mean, uh, it, it's it's not just owning a building where they show movies. You've got uh, incredible amounts of employees. You it, it's a it's a whole ecosystem of businesses that you're having to deal with now if any company bought movie theaters disney being in the hospitality business with their theme parks would probably be an ideal company to own movie theaters but like you said there's no way disney's going to get invested in such a business with that with those margins there's no there's no profitability as far as the kind of profitability that they earn from their parks or whatever any of their other businesses so there's no incentive like why would disney The only incentive I could see, and I don't know the economics behind this, is that they need places to open their Marvel movies and their Star Wars movies and their Pixar movies. So in that sense, maybe, but then they would have to own so many movie theaters to make it profitable on that level. And they would have to have a constant pipeline. You'd have a movie coming out like every three weeks. And so even Disney, I don't see, could make it a profitable business for them because they make so much money doing other things
0: agreed well here the question is guys What do you think about that? I mean, a lot of people ask and wonder (laughs) why don't theaters own own or why don't the studios just buy the theaters? There's a lot of reasons why it's a lot of money. There's not a lot of upside for it for them. It just doesn't be thing. That's why every studio head in the recent uh, months has been saying, "Yeah, we we have no interest in that." Question is, what do you guys think? Can you make an argument for why maybe buying a AMC theaters might be appealing to Warner Brothers or Paramount? Let me know your thoughts. Jump down into the convers into the comment section and leave your thoughts there. All right, guys, with that down, let's move into main topic number two and our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Eric F and Eric F writes. Have you heard that theater chains sticking on the theme of theater chains? Have you heard that theater chains are considering slashing Warner uh, Warner Brothers movies up to three to three or five dollars for a ticket on top of that? They are considering keeping 75 to 80 percent, 75 to 80 percent of the price of the tickets. Do theaters have this much power? OK, thanks a lot for sending that in. Now, of course, this is all coming on the heels Of the big announcement that Warner Brothers made that seemed to piss off other studios, pissed off the directors, pissed off writers, pissed off actors, pissed pissed off their other production companies, everybody that they were going to move all their movies to HBO Max in 2021. Now, the movie theaters are saying there's a report out now that's claiming that movie theaters thinking like, okay, Warner Brothers is saying they're going to put their movies out in theaters and on HBO Max in the same day. Great. We're only going to charge people three bucks a ticket. and We're going to keep 80% of it. How do you like them apples Warner brothers? How does that fit? That's basically what the theaters are saying to Warner brothers right now. This comes to us from the business insider that writes U S cinema chains may reportedly drop the prices of tickets for Warner brothers films after the studio said it's 2021 releases would be available on HBO max the same day as it hits theaters. Some movie theaters are considering slashing film tickets as low as between three and $5 for Warner brothers titles. Insiders told the Hollywood Reporter uh, and the cinemas want to keep a hefty chunk of the ticket sales too, at around 75 to 80 percent of the revenue. That's what's coming out of there. Now, you ask a very good question. Do movie theaters have this kind of power? In a way, yes, but it can be checked by Warner Brothers, but only in a way that Warner Brothers doesn't want to do it. Here's the scenario. Whenever a movie is coming out, Movie theaters and the studios come to an agreement on, you know, what is the terms of us releasing this movie and what are the terms of you as a movie theater carrying this movie. It is negotiated on a film by film basis, really, for the most part. A lot of them are standard, but they're kind of also dealt with as individual films. So, ticket price percentages, all that kind of stuff, all gets negotiated. Runtime, you know, does your movie get choice, the best theaters in the building versus whatever? Like these are all things that are negotiated by the acquisition people at theaters and by the theater uh, uh, relationship people at the studios. They work these things out all the time. Movie theaters are perfectly within their right to go to the studios and say, oh, you want us to, I don't know, Rob, let's just use Matrix 4 as an example. Mm. The movie theaters are completely within their right to go to Warner Brothers and say, Oh, okay, you want us to put your movie Matrix on our screens. Okay. We're only gonna charge $3 a ticket, and we're only gonna let you keep 75 cents of that, or 50 cents of that, or 30 cents of that, whatever. Warner Brothers or AMC or a movie theater chain is completely within the rights to set those terms. Now, Warner Brothers, on the other side of the coin, has the total right to decline those terms and just not put their movie in the theaters, which is kind of what it feels like, Rob, is what the theaters are trying to make Warner Brothers do in the first place. I feel like they're trying to back Warner Brothers into a corner if they do follow through with this and actually make Warner Brothers go, never mind, we won't put our film in theaters. And the theaters will go, oh, really? That's such a shame. And then they'll go away. Rob, this is a a messy situation, no matter which way you cut it. And doing something like this, I don't see how it really helps the movie theaters to do something like this. At the same time, you know, I see them feeling the need to kind of make a statement back at Warner Brothers. Like they can't take Warner Brothers to court over this stuff. They're not in any legal agreements with them, you know. Legendary pictures can take Warner Brothers to court, and they are, but the theaters can't. So they feel the need that they need to respond in some way to what was done. I, I don't know. Rob, you read this report. What's your kind of take on this?
1: Well, uh, you know, at did this to themselves. The The fact is that people are making movies, especially at the studio level, it's to be released in movie theaters. And again, we talk about an ecosystem there are movie theaters that are expecting to get movies like Matrix 4 and Dune. Well, they know about Wonder Woman, but the, the entire 21, 2021 slate and, and they made Warner Brothers or what is it? Warner Media made a unilateral decision for everyone to disrupt that ecosystem without calling, without talking to people especially even the people that finance, put in 75% of the financing for these movies. And, and Legendary, they, they're not sitting on a pile of money. They've got other people that have given them that 75% to finance the movies. And now that first return, which is a theatrical return, which adds value. You know, John, if a movie comes out in the movie theaters and it does, it's a big hit, it adds value to that product for the ancillary markets like physical media, like streaming. That's how value is created. And what they've done is they've shattered that. And they'll say, okay, well, it's still coming out theatrically. It's like, yeah, but you've undercut that whole business. So I think that there's no – people don't have a choice. You've got the guilds, the DGA, the WJ, they're up in arms. Talent contracts, are they going to pay them off? I mean they, they did this and they disrupted the industry needlessly so. So people are left holding the bag going, well, what are we supposed to do about our business? you know you've done what you needed to do to to hopefully hopefully guide people to your streaming service but what about everyone else you left out in the cold and i think that it's it was a bad move and people are left with no other choice legendary has to sue because they're on the hook for the money that they've already laid out that they told other people that they were going to get back with a
0: theatrical release and what it's do you an do? ugly situation it's it's an ugly situation, and I'd, I and this isn't the last of it. We're I I you know the DGA is still contemplating boycotting Warner Brothers, in which case there's nobody left to make movies for them, and it it, it could get uglier before it gets better. It Could have been avoided too. Yeah, could have it could absolutely have been, avoided. been avoided. Anyway, guys, question is for you. What do you think about this move by the theaters, apparently, according to the Hollywood Reporter and Business Insider, saying that, yeah, they may slash, yeah, sure, we'll play the Warner Brothers movies, but we're going to make sure we charge so little for the tickets that Warner Brothers isn't going to get anything out of it. I don't know. What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's get to main topic. Number three. And our third main topic today, starting on our Star Wars theme, comes to us from Jedi, Mas- Jedi Master uh, Lucien Kiva, who writes, With Hayden Christensen returning to Star Wars as Darth Vader in the Obi-Wan series, what is the likelihood that he also shows up as a Force ghost in the Ahsoka series? All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And you know what? That is actually a terrific question. Now, at Mm -hmm. the Disney big announcement event last week, of course, one of the things that got a lot of people excited was the announcement of the Ahsoka Tano series. That's going to run at the same time, like in the same time frame and interconnect with Mandalorian and Rangers of the New Republic. It's going to all be interconnected. So since then, a lot of people have been excited. Now, during that announcement as well, they also let everybody know that Hayden Christensen was going to be... Uh, returning as Anakin Skywalker in the upcoming Obi-Wan series. That also got a lot of people very excited. But in the excitement, I think something has been overlooked that our viewer just actually brought up. What about showing up in the Ahsoka Tano series? Because when you think about it, obviously the the tighter connection, the the association with Anakin is with Obi-Wan. But for people who watch Clone Wars, there is also a very tight connection between Anakin and what who was his Padawan, Ahsoka Tano. And there's an emotional connection there. And of course, there was one terrific episode of Rebels in particular where, you know, Anakin and Ahsoka had to confront each other and it was very emotional and it was an, actually an excellent, excellent episode of the series. So the question is, could we see him back there? I've got two minds on this, Rob, two separate thoughts on this. Thought number one is that I don't know that they will, because if they are really going to have kind of one overarching kind of storyline between Rangers, Mandalorian and Ahsoka, I don't know that having Anakin pop in there really kind of contributes to that whatsoever. Not to mention, they seem to be really focusing their attention with Anakin in the Obi-Wan series. So there's that. But on the other hand, like I just said, there does seem to be this, there's a very natural connection there between these two characters. It could set up some wonderful on-screen drama, some wonderful on-screen emotion. It could take, it could give the opportunity to give some more emotional depth to the characters. So there's an opportunity as well. Rob, it sounds like I'm trying to push this. Uh, Like, push it off and scapegoat it. But honestly, right now, I'll give it a 50-50 chance. Personally, I think there's a solid 50-50 chance that we see Anakin show up in the Ahsoka Tano show for those reasons. Rob, somebody says to you, do you think they're going to put Anakin and Hayden Christensen in the Ahsoka show? What do you think?
1: Why not? I mean, the thing about these shows is is, is what's so great is they're basically, if they're going to still shoot these in Manhattan Beach here in town, I mean, everybody's going to be hanging out together. And if you've got access to these people and they're gonna, they're willing to do it, I don't think Hayden Christensen is going to be like, huh, let me think about that. Do I want to be in the 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 Obi-Wan show and an Ahsoka Tana show?
0: Nah, I don't think I want to.
1: Wait a second. Of course he's going to do it. Put me in it.
0: Put me in, coach. Well, of course, the question is whether, whether he'd do it, but do they write it? Do they write that into the story? Uh,
1: well, I, I think that, again, I think that they have such a handle on what, we as fans want to see. I mean, this goes beyond fan service. This is John watching the Mandalorian. I realized uh, when I was watching this final episode last night of the second season, I'm like, they figured out a way to write what I would make up with my Star Wars figures when I was ten years old. <laughs> That's what they're doing with this show. And uh, you know, as soon as I saw the the <laughs> the, the ruse of a Tiderrium type shuttle. Being chased by the Slave One, I'm like, oh, I get it. They just sit down and go, what did I do when I was ten? And they just write it down, and they probably have a big list, and they figure out, ooh, what episode can we stick the Slave One fight fire- chasing a Tidarium shuttle? And oh, wait a minute, don't to- give anything away. <laughs> oh, right, I, you're right, you're right. I just, I, I'm like, I'm like, I, I, when I was watching this last night, I was, I was literally like jumping up and down as if I was ten years old. And I, 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 normally I would have these ships in either hand, you know, going like this and picking the angles or whatever. The entire Mandalorian is a 10-year-old playing with the Star Wars toys. And that's why it works. That's why it works. How does that you wanna connect? You want to kill a crate dragon? Yeah, let's go kill a crate dragon. You want to be friends with the sand people? Yeah, the Mandalorian can talk to them. I mean, it's just like you want to fight on a sand crawler like in season one? Sure, let's do that. So how do you see that
0: connecting into, like, the possibility of Anakin popping up in an Ahsoka show?
1: uh, uh, Hello, they have a previous relationship. (laughs) How cool would that be? I mean, it's just like this, the Mandalorian, there's all these people going, well, you know, there's not a lot of depth in this show. I'm like, no, this show is made for people that say, wouldn't it be cool if? And they go in the Mandalorian. Yeah, it would be.
0: Let's do that. So having Anakin show up with Ahsoka again, live action, people would lose their shit. That, that would that would make a lot of people happy. And and Favreau, listen, fan service. We've talked a lot about this before. Fan service is nothing but a tool. Fan service is just a tool. It can be bad and it can be good, just like any other tool. John Favreau, th- look, there's no denying John Favreau has leaned a lot onto fan service in the in the Mandalorian yeah. series. There's no doubt. But but. I'd say a solid eight times out of 10 that he does, he uses it in a really good way. And that's just like any tool. As long as you use it in a good way most of the time, you're you're ahead of the game. And the bringing in of Anakin into an Ahsoka series, having those two actually have a scene together, even if it is just for one episode, that would be – there's no denying. It would be massive fan service but it could be very, very effective. Just like Mjolnir flying past Thor and Thanos and into Captain America's hands. That was fan service, but it was effective fan service and it made everybody cheer. And that's something that could happen here. So anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about the possibilities of an Anakin Skywalker, aka Hayden Christensen, showing up in an Ahsoka series? I'm giving it a solid 50-50 chance. What do you guys think? What are the arguments for it? What are the arguments against it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, there's nothing else to talk about today. Oh, of course there is. Let's is there? talk. is there is there? Let's talk for a moment. And and you know what? Here, guys, I'm not going to use any graphics because I don't I don't want to risk anything about uh, something being spoilery. This is what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about last night's episode of Mandalorian in a non-spoiler way. But then we are going to spend a few minutes talking in some spoiler stuff. And when we do, I'm going to let you guys know we're about to talk spoilers and I will bring up this alert so you guys know we're talking spoilers. And then you'll know to keep it on mute until the image goes away. And by the way, later today... Myself and my wife, of course, and Campia, will be doing our our weekly Mandalorian spoiler discussion at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time this afternoon. So if you're interested in hearing like a full hour and a half to two hours of just full spoiler discussion about last night, come on back and join me and Anne at 4 p.m. All right. Let's get into this. Rob, starting off with all non-spoiler stuff. Right, right. And it's very difficult to talk in non-spoiler terms about this episode, except as I will say this, they did everything I said in previous shows that I said I think they should do for this final episode. They did it to an absolute T, which totally made me very excited. Um, They did the whole thing of they bring, I've been saying forever, you can't just have this thing end on just a cliffhanger. You, You can't do that. What you need to do, and I hope they do, is what Supernatural does. Bring the story to conclusion, and then, then open a door that says, here's where it can go from here. And without getting into details yet about how they did that, they did it. And they did it so well. And the whole tease they did about Baby Yoda sending off his ATT. and Warner Brothers signal out into the galaxy looking for another Jedi. They brought that to fruition. I, I said that's something they can't just leave dangling. So they brought that to fruition in a fabulous, fabulous, fabulous way. They they did a lot of stuff that we were hoping we, they would do. They did one or two things I didn't think they would do unexpected, but in a fantastic, wonderful way. Uh, they brought the whole season full circle. And it was my big complaint this is a good complaint to have, but my biggest complaint uh, about the episode was its length. I was, when I opened up the episode and I saw, I think it was 46 minutes and I saw 46 minutes. I'm like, ah, I was really kind of hoping to see like a good 55, 65 minute finale, but whatever. It was a glorious, fun, wonderful conclusion of, uh, to the season of a 46-minute runtime. And we'll go into some spoilers here in a couple of minutes here to get really into the meat of it. But Rob, on a general non-spoilery kind of way, how are you feeling watching that Mandalorian finale last night?
1: Well, like I was just saying, it it made me feel like I was 10 years old with all of my Star Wars figures laid out in front of me, deciding what would be the coolest thing I'd want to see right now. No, I I, I thought for one... You know, I think the latter half of season two of The Mandalorian has been an epic win for both the show, but more uh, more importantly for Star Wars as a whole, because you realize that what the Clone Wars did and what Rebels did so well is it showed you that there was a lot of other stories to be told outside of the Skywalker saga. And this is something that we knew even as an original Star Wars fan back in the seventies, when you're reading Marvel comics or you're reading Han Solo at star's end or Lando Calrissian and the flame winds of Ocean, you know, you realize that there's a lot of other stories in the Star Wars universe that are really worth telling. And this story without giving anything away really had nothing to do with the larger Skywalker saga sort of. And, and yet, It's incredibly effective in terms of it's obviously a Star Wars story set in the Star Wars universe that expands the lore that has been built up over the seven seasons of Clone Wars and the four seasons of Rebels. And I think it did more for the Star Wars franchise than the entire Disney sequel trilogy, because if you're a longtime Star Wars fan, it's just satisfying. This episode from like every three minutes, they gave me something where I was going, yeah, man, that's rad. It's just stuff I've wanted to see, and they kept giving it to me. Give me, give me, give me, give me. It was like the most. It was like snorting a pile of Tony Montana sized cocaine at the end of Scarface, <laughs> but it was Star Wars. I was, I, I had a giant rail of Star Wars that I was just in, in just imbibing, sniffing up into my imagination, and I, I, I. I, I haven't had what a way to end this year. I was having so much fun, and I I just was like, dude, I, I you know it's not the deepest stuff in the world. I mean, it's not Breaking Bad, it's not Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones was at its finest. What it was, it was it was like opening my Star Wars toys on Christmas morning for the first time.
0: That's what and, it was. And you know, we'd be remiss. I think we'd be remiss not to point that I sent out a tweet last night that basically said uh peyton reed you glorious son of a bitch uh because look we know john favreau you know he oversees the story he's the one who came up with the story that what was going to happen in this episode and, and obviously full credit to everything favreau has done but then it's up to you, the individual directors to come in and bring what favreau wants to see in that episode and it's the director's responsibility to come in and bring that to life really flesh it out and manifest it peyton reed The director of Ant Man, Ant Man 2, and the upcoming Ant Man, what is it? Quantumania? Ant Man, Quantumania, Peyton Reed directed that episode last night. And everything from the pacing, the choice of shots, how they slowly built certain elements and then quickly got to others. It was a marvelously written episode. That goes without saying. It was a marvelously directed episode as well and and anyway your thoughts on the job Peyton Reed did last night
1: I thought I I mean I thought he did a a terrific job and and I you know it's funny because Star Wars has never been it it, it isn't the English patient it's not Lawrence of Arabia you know it's populist fantasy sci-fi entertainment for all ages and I feel that what happened when Disney bought Star Wars is there was so much pressure to show that there's gonna be a great return on investment. And I think with the films, they sort of lost that. You know, they they weren't as fun as they should have been. And if nothing else, the second season has proven that Star Wars works best when it embraces its science fiction fantasy element, what it is. And, and the fact is, it's gotta to appeal to children of all ages. And I'm one of them. You know, I'm a kid in an adult's body and I'm watching this and it made me feel like I was when I saw Star Wars in the theater for the first time when I was 10. I felt like I was 10 years old again. I mean, every time they did something more in this episode, I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's even cool. Oh, my God. It's so cool. Like it was just I never thought I would have so much fun watching one spaceship get inside of another one. I guess you could
0: say. And again, it's not Shakespeare. By the way, a big thank you to JBKB who sent in a uh, a super chat badge in the live chat. Thanks for that, JBKB. Appreciate that, man. Um, But yeah, a spectacular job. All right, and you're right. This is not Shakespeare. I mean, let's be clear. And even the the deeper elements they introduce, they only cover them in a very surface way. Yeah, but but that's what they are and they go heavy into the other elements that make it such a rich experience to watch. Okay, guys, listen, uh, this has been to cover all you guys who haven't seen the episode yet for the next few minutes here, Rob and I are going to talk about some spoiler stuff. Okay. So if you have not seen Mandalorian, the season finale of season two, uh, it is time to, to hit mute hit mute because we're about to go to spoil. Now we will be done. Spoilers. When I bring this graphic off, when I turn this graphic off, the spoilers are done. That's when, you know, you can unmute it. Okay. All right. You've been warned. All right, here we go. We're going to get into uh, uh, the spoiler stuff. Now. Holy fuck. Jake, Luke Skywalker showed up and started wrecking some fools and <laughs> sticking lightsabers up their ass and cutting them in half and shit all over their faces. It was everything I've wanted to see Luke Skywalker do for decades. For decades, and I am convinced, I am convinced that John Favreau, uh, I mean, I, I suspected before, but I am absolutely convinced that Jon Favreau I at least used to watch my AMC movie talk show. Because I remember one, one, of, one of the most infamous episodes I ever did that, I talked about the upcoming uh, uh, The Last Jedi movie, and I said... I said, man, all I want to see in this movie is Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber in his hand and wrecking an entire platoon. of stormtroopers just wrecking shop and do it for five minutes. And I will stand and I will defecate myself and I will do all this. And as soon as that X-Wing came into view, as soon as that X-Wing came into view, it got stiff, Rob. I'm not going to lie to you. It got stiff. I was so, so excited And then, of course, the the listen, and this was the beautiful thing about it, Rob, the decision to kind of, we clearly knew that was Luke. The moment that we saw the X-Wing, we all clearly knew it was Luke. And yet Peyton Reed decided to still veil mystery in it for a while, just seeing his back and the cloak and blah, blah, blah. And then they make it again obvious that it's Luke when we see the gloved hand. So we, are not, we know it's Luke, and yet they still decide to try to keep it a little bit veiled in mystery. Because then we may think, well, I know it's Luke, but what if it's not? They, they kept that question in your head. And even when the green lightsaber blade came out, you're like, well, it's obviously Luke. But why are they still keeping it veiled in mystery a little bit? So just those little creative decisions to the point that when he finally pulls it off. Now, look, I, I will say this before everybody else talks about it. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> The CGI on Luke's face was not top notch, obviously, and that's fine. That that's perfectly fine. Would it have been better for them just to hire another actor and then do their makeup in such a way to make him look more like Luke? That might have ultimately, at the end of the day, that might have served them a little bit better. Um, the uh, the uh, what, what's the name of the set again that they're in? Where they stagecraft. shoot it, the straight, but they call it so they have a specific word for oh. it. But anyway, stagecraft won't fix that problem for you. Yeah, and that and that was distracting. But I just went okay, I accept it. The face looks a little a little weird, so I accept that. I can live with that. Whatever. Um, but yes, and and you know what, they'll fix that in years to come. They'll probably fix that and then put it back on Disney Plus. Um, the and then let's talk for a second about. Well, there was another problem I had where I was telling you this off air. As they were doing it, and Mando goes in and he blows the dark troopers out the airlock. I remember thinking to myself, "Well, that's anticlimactic." You spent a bunch of episodes building up these dark troopers, and then he just opens an airlock and blows. But of course, they came back and they rectified that problem. It was truly a Terminator Doomsday type of feel. Uh, I thought I thought Moff Gideon was great. I love the whole Darksaber. Even when it's on Beskar, if you keep it on Beskar for too long, it starts to get real hot and you're afraid it could damage it. Um, Baby Yoda was terrific. The whole thing. Okay. And then let's talk for a second about the tag, the post credit scene.
1: Okay. Can we?
0: Where, where Boba Fett Fennec show up first of all it was great I got all excited it's like I turned to Anna and I yelled out loud it's Bib Fortuna like <laughs> Bib Fortuna sitting there on Jabba's throne he gets whacked in Tony Soprano style he totally gets whacked he is out and it ends with and, and again it, this is not great writing it's actually kind of cringy and actually kind of cheesy the final shot ends with Boba Fett sitting on a throne I'm like come on that's kind of cheesy but then you watch it and it's like Oh, my God, that's awesome. Boba Fett's sitting there on the throne and Fennec kind of sitting on the arm of the chair with a bottle of booze in her hand. And and coming next Christmas, the book of Boba Fett. Of course, we reported on this show, Rob, a few weeks ago that they had started production on a Boba Fett spinoff series, an event series they're calling It's going to be a one off. Whether that means now deadline is still saying Mandalorian season three is happening. Some people are wondering, it's like, wait a minute. Is that replacing Mandalorian now? Apparently Mandalorian season three is still happening. Maybe it just bumps it Mandalorian season three for an extra year. Maybe Mandalorian comes out just before <laughs> this. I don't know, whatever, but hot damn. I I thought I knew Luke was a possibility. I've been talking for a month now that, that Luke Skywalker is a possibility. He's out there in the galaxy. He's forming the thing. But if I had to put five bucks on it, I was ready to put five bucks on it being Ezra Bridger, but it was Luke. And, and and wait, Rob. Sorry, Rob. I, I could just run like this for the next twenty minutes. Your your thoughts on a spoiler level of what we saw last night,
1: dude? It was ultimate fap ability. Fap 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 <laughs> fap fap. Uh, I I I I have to say that. Um, <laughs> look, when I saw the end of that the the tag, I was watching it. I was watching on my computer here. And I was the credits were rolling, and there was no artwork, you know, during the credits. And I was listening to the music, and and I kind of turned away. And then I, I turn, you, you you know, out of the corner of your eye, you see another image pop on, and I turn like, wait, what? And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And you see you know, Jabba's they're, palace, the tw- sons of Tatooine, pans over, and I was like, holy! Sh- I- I- and then, and then look, maybe it was cheesy at the end, but I'm like, you know, they were going to make a live action. Star Wars Underworld series, remember that? And they wrote yep. like 50 scripts. If Boba Fett has now installed himself as the ultimate crime boss in the galaxy, and the book of Boba Fett is like, it's some Godfather two esque saga where he takes over the underworld, the Star Wars universe, I'm like, this is masturbatory material for years to come. And I, I, I mean, I can't imagine what we're gonna see with this show and having Fennec shan I, I it's just like again i'm watching this going dude dude i've already all you had to do was show me the the slave one fighting tie fighters i'd be like that's all i needed to see but this episode kept giving me stuff and giving me stuff and giving me stuff and i i i just again is it high art no is it does it have a lot of depth to it? No, but Star Wars never I mean Empire Strikes Back is as much depth as you get. And I love Empire. I saw it 26 times in the theater. But there's so much interesting stuff in this episode. There's so many directions they can spin off. And in 45 minutes, I have I have 50 different questions. Where did Luke and Baby Yoda go? What happened to Grogu from the time we just met him last season to the beginning of? The rise of, or the and and we agree,
0: he's coming back, right? Like I thought, they made that pretty clear with the way he said, "I will see you again." We'll see, like he's coming back, right? Like Baby Yoda's coming back.
1: You know, I was on Twitter last night, losing my mind about this, and people are like, they're going, "Well, the Boba Fett show is going to replace the Mandalorian," and I'm like, "Are you people out of your minds? Do you not know how this works?" I mean. Uh, look at Chicago PD, Chicago Fire and Chicago Law or Med. whatever. They,
0: Chicago they, Med and Chicago, Chicago – yeah, they did all those. Yeah, I mean
1: all at the same time. How many CSI shows are there? They could make 10 Mandalorian shows and people would watch. I mean I, I would watch and I'm thinking this is the most genius move and people are like, well, then why didn't they announce it at the uh, the investor meeting? Because this is much cooler. They didn't have to announce it at the investor meeting because all the investors are going to know, as a matter of fact, they probably already do. I wouldn't be surprised if Disney stock has risen today based on the announcement of the Book of Boba Fett, which I, – I, I, dude. <laughs>
0: Just we, they got the new storyline for Din that he's now indebted to Bo-Katan to help her retake Mandalore. Um, I mean, and yeah, they didn't announce it. But guess what? You know what? You know what else they didn't talk about or announce at the Disney investor meeting? Avatar 2. Do you think Avatar 2 isn't coming? Of course, it's coming. Here's one thing that really stood out to me, though, Rob. This this one thing really stood out to me is I remember what the moment they showed up in that cantina, and there's Bo-Katan with Sasha Banks. But in the other episode that had them, they had a third. They had that dude. Yep. And it's like, did the dude just go, wait a minute, damn it, I just remembered I left the stove on back at Mandalore. I need to take off and go. I'm like, how come, where is he? Why is he not there? And then it dawned on me why they were doing it because it felt like John Favreau wanted to have his own A-Force um, situation. Oh.
1: And they did it. And he, they did it great. He totally stuck to all the here. The Force is female. Yeah, bitches, it is. Watch this. <laughs> and literally had the four of them coming out, weapons blazing. You know, in that shot, the low, and they're all four there. It was almost an. It almost was a perfect recreation of that one picture of those girl, Kathleen Kennedy, those girls wearing those Nike shirts yeah. that say "The Force is Female." Which, by the way, were not Star Wars shirts. They were Nike those, those shirts. Were, that, that was they,
0: a Nike campaign. Yes, it's a Nike
1: campaign. But to see that and he it, I am sure Favreau's like, I'm gonna make all those guys eat their words. I mean, that's what they do in the show. They just think stuff of like, hey, let's turn this on on its ear where no one's gonna complain because we've already established these characters. They're all badasses and let's let's have them come in, you know, weapons hot. I, yeah. I love that. I, 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 I think just, it made I everybody laugh. happy.
0: I think it I made laugh. everybody happy.
1: I'm like, because if you know how to do it, I mean the problem is. You know, if you want to do these things, if you want to have great uh, characters that are played by traditionally people that haven't had a chance, nobody would care if the writing is great and the characters are great. You have to do it in such a way you can make anything cool. You just have to take the time. That means you don't put your agenda first. You put your characters in your story first and make it cool. And that's what they did. They've made Star Wars cool again, and it only took a year and a half from the release of The Rise of Skywalker.
0: Or well, anyway, I was going to say at that point we will we will take off the spoiler alert. Here we go. So we so we're back to non spoilers. All safe, guys. All safe. You can come back. Now, listen, uh, again, I will let you guys know that at four o'clock today, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time, my wife, Ann and I will be doing our weekly Mandalorian open spoiler discussion. Make sure you guys come back and chat. You know, we're going to have more to talk about. And there's so many aspects to cover, but uh, what a way to end the season. And now, unlike last year when Mandalorian ended and then it was crickets around Disney Plus, like, oh, that's done now. There's nothing. Okay. Now there's We've got WandaVision coming in a couple of weeks, guys. So now we've got more stuff to look forward to. Anyway, guys, what did you think about the finale of Mandalorian Season 2? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's get over and start taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been sending in. If you want to get in a live comment or question, simply use the tip link that's near the top of the description of this video, or you can enter it in manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's within reason. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. That down. Let's get into it, guys. Got a lot of stuff to take from you. Here it is. Uh, Giovanni, the movie canon writes I'm really liking uh, the Your Honor series with Brian Cranston. In a way, the story is social commentary on the current American justice system, and it's quite interesting. The first episode is brutal. Rob, somebody brought up this uh, series to me the other day, uh, the new Brian Cranston series. I haven't been able to watch it because it's on, it's either on Showtime or Stars. One of the two few streaming services that I don't actually have, but I'm, I'm dying to see it. Have have you had a chance to see this new Brian Cranston show? No, but I saw an ad for it, you know, and I'm like, what's this? And,
1: uh, I, I, it's right up my alley. I, 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 I must get it. I must see it.
0: Yeah, I I I'm very, very interested in it. Right, Benjamin S. writes, with Dave Filoni's continued growth in live action directing this season, over under five percent, we will see him develop some uh some of the story notes that Lucas originally intended, such as the Wills of the Force. I can't think of someone better suited to expand the lore. I can think of several, but I I honestly don't think they're gonna go too much backwards now. I think Star Wars now, particularly with Mandalorian, has its own path. And I think a lot of that stuff, like the the, the Journal of the Wills and things like that, I, I honestly feel like they're moving on from that. So I'm going to take the under 5% on that. Not zero. Nothing is impossible. But when you look at the lineup of the new Star Wars stuff they have coming it's very clear what kind of direction they're going in. And it's a direction that has a lot of people very excited. So I just don't see how that kind of fits into it, Benjamin. But again, everything is possible. Big Poppy writes, What's up, John? Just wondering if you saw the MCU Disney Plus show Legends kicking off on January 8th on Scarlet Witch and Vision a week before the pilot episode. It was mentioned at the investor's call. And do you think it'll be similar to the Mando's Making of series? I don't think it's going to be all that similar to the Mando Making of series, Rob, because the Mando Making of series they don't air that until after the season's done. Right. Right. Um, this, if I, if I remember correctly, they talked about this series, kind of just being visiting key moments in the MCU movies and, and stuff like that. So I'll be honest. I'm not really clear. That's my best understanding of it. Other than that, I'm not super clear on what this show is going to be. What's your understanding of it right now?
1: I, you know, I'm not, I'm not either. Um, but I, I really like the behind the scenes stuff, obviously. As someone who has made behind the scenes stuff. I love behind the scenes stuff when it's good, and I, I, you know, again, I, I, I don't know, but I think I'm interested in it. You know, I wasn't that interested in, in what if, to be honest, until I actually saw the animation at this investors thing. It looks so rad, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, in. So if they're gonna do something, I, I pretty much all, I, I am an easy lay when it comes to the MCU and Star Wars. Just throw it in front of me. Uh, you can have your way with me, and I don't care. That's you know what the funny. Just, just,
0: I I thought well. the same way about what if until I like you until I was at D twenty three, and then they showed us this big sizzle for it, and then I was like, yeah, oh okay, this could be. Yeah. It's not, not going to be mind blowing. It's not going to sh- no. be this massive shift in culture or anything. But it looks like a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. All right, next up. Uh, movie theater fan writes: Watch Wonder Woman eighty four at AMC Mystique thirty in Dallas in IMAX, and I cried watching it. Very safe because AMC does lower capacity than state mandates. Uh, end credit scene: three minutes and two credits. Uh, watching again Dolby Christmas Day HBO Max will not do the film justice. Drive to Vegas and see it, John. Well, listen, if you guys know, I have driven to Vegas to go see a movie. Uh, that's where I got to basically go. If I want to watch a movie, I got to drive three and a half hours to Vegas. Um, Maybe a few months ago, I would have, but with the pandemic, and I know the theaters are doing a good job, having really strict safety protocols. I know they're doing a good job. That said, the way, and I'm just speaking for myself personally. I'm not trying to tell anybody else what to do. I'm just telling you personally for myself. The way This pandemic has spiked and we, there is a light at the end of the tunnel now, finally, but the way we're currently in this massive spike, Rob, we had 3,500 Americans die in one day, the other day, die in one day. And so right now in the immediate circumstance, I feel like if I don't have to go do that, then I shouldn't go do that. And, And again, I'm just speaking for myself. So for now I will not be going to the theater. I certainly not driving to Vegas to go to go see it at this point unfortunately because that is really the way I want to watch. It. I want to watch it on the big screen. But watching a movie on the big screen in the midst of the worst spike of the worst pandemic is not really a thing I can do right now. But I am looking forward to watching it and I cannot wait for, you know, us for us to get out of this mess and uh, and have the theaters open again in whatever way, shape, or form that'll be in when it happens. All right, Shane Sekia writes, Hey, John, sorry for being stuck on semantics, but I'm confused on how different Wonder Woman is compared to other Amazonians. Wonder Woman is of Zeus, but in many of the movies, including Wonder Woman 1984, they have incredible physical powers. How much stronger is Wonder Woman compared to them, or is she also, or is... She also Wonder Woman has her has held her own against doomsday and has shown strength and resilience similar to Superman in many of these movies. Why is she still dodging bullets? How is she not bulletproof? Uh, is this an inconsistency? What am I missing? Well, the way I've kind of got gar- Rob and I, I don't know how you would look at this. The way I look at it is, is the Amazonians are a very specific race that are kind of like in, in our understanding of as guardians like they are just more physically advanced than we are. Right, But in the midst of that, there is one who is even more than the rest, and that's Diana. So yes, they are all powered, just like all Asgardians are powered, but Thor yes. is just on another level. He is Odin's son. And I, that's how I kind of see it with Wonder Woman. I don't believe, I think in the show, or in the movies, that I should say at least, the DC is, has not suggested or hinted that she's bulletproof. she blocks bullets, if she... Was bulletproof, she wouldn't need to block them. So I don't think they're con- they're, they're they're considering her skin to be imp- impenetrable. Like even when she was fighting Doze, she had the shield, right? So I mean, there's that. So I don't think it's a big issue. I don't know. How do you see that the whole Wonder Woman as compared to the other Amazonians?
1: Uh, well, I think she's definitely special and probably has. Here's the thing: while they're on uh, themisera they're they're probably reasonably similar. But when she goes and uh, leaves the island and goes into to, to man's world, her powers and 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 what she is, her lineage makes her invincible. You know, makes her she's beyond. And maybe she's not beyond getting a bullet through her skin. We don't really know. Um, but I think she's. I think if you brought an army of Amazonians to our world, to man's world. I think they would all be pretty comparable, but she's probably simply because of who her father is right? Uh, more powerful. I mean, it's, you know, it's just like she's – she just has – She's more godlike than the rest. Well,
0: she's a demigod. I mean, in in that lineage, she's a demigod. So anyway, well, I'm sure we'll find out more when we actually get into Wonder Woman 84 and the rest of us have a chance to see it. Adam UK friend writes, John, oh my gosh, when lockdown happened, Ben Affleck had a film coming out called The Way Back, in which he is fantastic in, by the way. I got it on Blu-ray and I love it. Affleck is criminally underrated. I've been saying that for years. Anyway, uh, what a performance. Please do uh, HBO Max Batman series. I love the movie, by the way. Goat. Uh, yeah, I listen, it is unfortunate that the way back, I mean, the way back Rob was a movie that had a a lot of things going against it, not to mention the environment, but it was also, I think it caught a lot of people. It felt weird. I think to a lot of people that in the midst when Ben was really struggling with substance abuse and all that kind of stuff, that then we find out this movie is coming out where he plays a dude. Heavily, you know, intertwined with substance abuse, and it's wrecked his life. And I think for some people that might have felt a little too close to home, and a lot of people kind of shoved it out. For me, I always thought this probably was going to give Ben some sort of catharsis. Um, that it might actually be in in many ways therapeutic for him to do a role like that, and he's fabulous in the movie. He's really, really good in the movie. Um, but yeah, I think just it that combined with other obvious factors just prevented a lot of people from ever checking it out, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, I, I, I know, Rob. I can't remember. I, I can't remember if you and I've ever talked about the Wayback or if you ever even had a chance to watch it due to the situation. Yeah,
1: no, I, we we did. We talked about when it was coming out, and and I I really liked it. I thought his performance was was great in it. I you know I he's matured as an actor over the years. I mean, remember when he showed up and dazed and confused? That was like thirty years ago. You know, and he's really not quite 30 years ago, but he's really come a long way. And and lately, if you've seen him lately, I mean, he's dating Ana Darmus and he looks great. Like he's in great physical shape. He's he, he looks like he's incredibly lean. They keep announcing he's starring in more and more movies. He just finished Ridley Scott's The Last Duel with Matt Damon. Um, I think he's I think he's got a bright future, that kid. Yep, Look forward I, I, to seeing where he's going to go.
0: I, I hope he's able to stay healthy because he is one of my favorite personalities in Hollywood. Has been for a very long time. I hope he can stay healthy. All right, um, uh, Benjamin S. writes, <clears throat> really looking forward to the second season of the Gallery on Disney Plus. My highlight from season one is Dave Filoni's incredible explanation of the Duel of the Fates. Uh, what are you most looking forward to them discussing on this season of the show? Yeah, so the basically it's the documentary series of you know the making of season two now of Mandalorian. I really did enjoy the first one, although they had a couple of episodes that was just a waste of time. They had one episode in season one of the documentary series where it's just all of them sitting around Hey, don't you think star Wars is great? Yeah. I love star Wars. What about you? Do you like star Wars, man? I sure like star Wars. It's like, I, I get it. We're we're, we're all here watching a documentary series about the making of a star Wars series. You don't have to spend an entire episode sitting around saying, Hey guys, don't you like star Wars? It was kind of a waste. And I wish they had gotten more into behind the scenes stuff, but Rob, once they got into the things like with the stage craft, and once they got kind of into the into the nitty-gritty of the individual episodes with the individual directors, uh, I thought that was great. I, I think the thing I am most looking forward to now, Rob, is probably um, them talking about – I want to see Peyton Reed. I, I want to yeah. see Peyton Reed uh, talking about um, his episode, this final episode, and, and really the creative decisions of what went into it. So that's what I'm looking forward to most. Rob, what about you?
1: I, I want to see Peyton Reed – talk about what it was like for him to crack open that script and read it for the first time. I'm, I'm like, did you follow the Mandalorian, Mr. Reed? And when you got that script, did you just at the end of it go, hell yeah, I am going <laughs> to direct this. <laughs> I mean, like what, how much fun must that have been for him? And, uh, I'd be just curious all the directors this season, you know, Rick, uh, Fumiyama, I always get his F- name wrong. Fum- I mean, he too, like he, obviously he's a returning director, but when he read that script going, hell yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, that must've been so much fun. I want to hear Bill Burr talk about, I mean, I think that scene in last week's episode when he's, he's With the talking, Imperial? that guy, the guy who played the Imperial, I forgot, I don't know his name as an actor. He was great. And there was more, we learned more about the empire in that scene. I mean, that was like the equivalent of, of, of the scene in heat where De Niro talks to Pacino and Bill Burr, who people didn't like. And I have to say, I didn't dig Bill Burr's performance when he showed up, but he, in season knocked, one. Yeah. In season one, he, I thought he was a little too broad and over the top and to Bill Burr, but that scene, Oh my God, it should be up for an Emmy. He was great.
0: It, reminded, love- me of, uh, it reminded me of, it reminded me the opening of um, uh, Inglorious Bastards with oh, yeah. uh, Hans Lada Mr. sitting there with the guy in the glass of milk it kind of reminded Lappetite. me of that Mr. Lopatite
1: it was so uh, good and, i mean it was so good and just the the oh, i i i loved it i loved it so much but that's the thing when when these directors got these scripts and i want to know what it was like directing those scenes and because again you don't need all the hardware you don't need lightsabers that was just two dudes talking about imperial policy and carrying it out And it was high drama. I loved it. It was my favorite scene in both seasons of The Mandalorian. That scene.
0: Um, All right. Let's move on here. Next up, uh, Kyle Arking writes, hey, John. I t- today I have officially graduated college as a film major and theater minor. Congratulations, Kyle. That's awesome, man. I've been watching every day since I graduated high school back in 2017. When you started working on your own, I wanted to thank you for always being an inspiration. oh dude, Thank you so much. And that seriously, man getting, first of all, Taking the steps to follow what it is you want to do and putting in the work and getting into school to study this stuff, let alone getting all the way through school and graduating. That is huge. Well done, sir. You are an inspiration to a lot of people. So congrats on that. And thanks for being around for all this time, Kyle. I appreciate that. All right. Peter and Lizzie writes. Hi. Hope all is well and happy holidays to you. Thank you so much. And my prediction is. Is at the end when baby Yoda is reaching out through the forest, you'll have a scene like this obviously came in before the episode aired last night uh, is reaching out to the force. You'll have a scene like the trailer for The Last Jedi when Palpatine when Palpatine's laugh was there. You'll get the voice of Luke uh, Mark Hamill. Well, obviously, we are no longer in spoiler mode, so I cannot address right now uh, how off or how close your little prediction was there. But you know what it was. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Peter and Lizzie. All right. Next up, uh, Nicholas Piero writes uh, Snyder got caught up in a D in a DC slash Marvel fan war. That's true. But he also participates in this circus when he called the Ant-Man movie flavor of the week. The year it was released. uh, Can he really continue to be seen as a victim? On top of that, I think Snyder divided the DC fan base more than he fueled the war between Marvel and DC. Those who yell the most at the release of Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman are Superman and Batman fans. Uh, I'm 28, been a Superman fan since kindergarten, and I hated Batman versus Superman and some elements of Man of Steel, philosophically. Chris Nolan and Patty Jenkins have also worked on DC movies, but they are not hated by as many people. Well, okay, so where this is all coming from is a few weeks ago... Um, I did, somebody asked a question about sending a question is like, why is, what makes Zack Snyder so divisive? What makes him so divisive? And I think there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. Does he make some good movies and some movies people don't like? Yes. But every director makes, has, has a bad, has bad days at the office. Every filmmaker has movies that people like and people, movies that people don't like. Every filmmaker does. So that's not what makes him divisive. I think what makes Zack Snyder divisive, and this is what I said at the time, is you have to understand that when his Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman movie came out, he kind of became the face at the time of the DCEU. And he became sort of the creative face of the DCU at a time when the zombie slave Marvel fanboys and the zombie slave DC fanboys and their feud was at its apex. And because of that, it was everything was being compared. Marvel and DC films were constantly being compared to each other. So you had one guy who was kind of the face of DC and he kind of became the kicking bag of that. Now I say that as a guy that I liked every single EU thing that Zack Snyder made. But a lot of people didn't, and that's fine. But I don't think the fact that people didn't. Now, did Zack Snyder fuel the divisiveness a little bit? Yeah. I mean, you're right. You you brought up one or two situations, and there were some others as well. Um, he he did do that as well, yes. But I don't think to the degree that it warrants the thing. Because, Rob, to this day, whenever I bring up something Snyder's doing, or whenever we bring up Snyder Cut, or whenever we, we mention Batman versus Superman, my messages both in the comment section and on Instagram and on social media and in the email inbox are filled with people like, yeah, yay, yay, yay. And on the opposite side of Zack Snyder sucks, everything he touches sucks, you know, and it's, and it's just, it just pours in. It still just elicits that sort of response on both sides. And I really think if he was just making his films in any other area or arena other than the DC Marvel sort of arena, I don't think it, it elicits nearly as passionate responses. I, I really don't. I, I don't think he. I don't think Zack Snyder would be seen as this completely divisive figure if that were the case. So, in a way, I'm not saying Zack Snyder is a victim. I'm not saying that, but they, I think it is true that he is a little bit of a victim of circumstance. To a degree, but anyway, that's my thoughts on that. Rob, I don't know what do you, what do you make of that?
1: Well, I think you're there's a lot. <laughs> I think you're right about that. I mean, it's it's if you think about like a lot of the great TV shows or or movies that have existed in the world, they don't have conventions that rise up around them. They don't have, you know, I guess nowadays every there's a fan of everything, but but the these movies and especially <laughs> look at look at the rabid. Snyder cut, I mean, it literally exists because of fans. Because fans were rabid enough that they hated the Justice League version that came out, and they willed it into existence. What other movie in the history of cinema has had that happen? Where it was willed into existence by fans. And now, look, there's a lot of people that like his take. You and I have been defending Man of Steel for years against all the detractors. I don't have to defend i don't know english patient you know no (laughs) one's coming after me i i mean it's we get into flame wars about justice league and about Zack snyder and his take on the whole dc eu you know and it's this is the world that we have chosen you know it's it's like godfather (laughs) this is the world we've chosen and and um or whatever and and i think you know you're right about it it's It's just a strange place to exist. If you choose to wade into the waters of science fiction, fantasy, horror, the genre, imagination connoisseurs, I call them. If you go into any of that arena, you're not just a guy making a movie or a woman directing a film. You're somebody that is is basically you're a prophet. You know, you're, you're, you're evangelizing, you're bringing, you're bringing these dreams to the world that you have a built in collective audience of people that have been since they were children loving this material and rightly or wrongly, you're either going to be accepted or cast out. And, um, it's a weird situation, man. It's a weird place to be.
0: All right, let's move on here. Next up, uh, Black Bono Lala writes, Hey, John, I could be wrong, but maybe Grogu decided his path with the Mandalorian. You can already see he doesn't want to part ways with them. Again, we are past the spoiler part discussion of this show, so I cannot reference how far off or how bang on the money your little prediction there is. You know what it is, Black Bono. You know what it is. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. Uh, R. Lee writes, how can you launch a major streaming service and it's only available on Google and Apple? Uh, Came to Amazon much later and only Roku today. Obviously talking about HBO Max. Uh, Read uh, the holdup. I read that the holdup was HBO and Roku. Couldn't agree on revenue percentages, but seven months? Somebody at HBO should be let go now. Well, listen, I've been saying that for a while. and, And apparently one of the other big things was HBO, Warner Media wanted roku to phase out the existing hbo app they wanted them to phase that out which was going to cause some complications for roku they didn't want to do that and all that kind of stuff listen i've said it before i will say it again i love hbo they are still to me the gold standard of creating the highest quality content uh, out on uh, on tv on streaming however you want to semantics whatever semantics you want to use i i think they're the gold standard i really do Now, ask me again in a year and a half after all these Disney shows start coming out and we'll see where we're at. But for now, I think they're excellent. But there is – you can't get around it. There's no explaining it. There's no double talking your way around it. There's no dressing it up to look like something else. They botched the launch of HBO Max and they botched it in several ways. Number one, it was the wrong name. They caused confusion with the with the audience and with the customers. Like, wait a minute, we got HBO, we got HBO Go, we got HBO Now, and now we've got HBO. What's what's the I mean, there was it was an exercise in confusion and fertility. And then to launch, whereas Disney Plus launched on everything, you launch your streaming product. Without being on the two most dominant popular streaming platforms in the world right now, which is the Amazon platform and on the Roku platform that has 46 million active users, Rob, and you don't launch on that? There's no way around. Hey, I'm glad they got it done. I said they were going to get the deal done. I said they'd get it done by the end of the year, and they have. But there's still no excuse. And yes, Arlie, somebody should have lost their job over that. That was an incredibly botched thing. And only one of many reasons why they've been lapped by Disney Plus in just one year. Disney Plus already has more than twice their subscribers in just one year. And that includes all the existing HBO subscribers. It's not a good look. Uh, Anyway, next up. Uh, But you said, right... John, Gemma Chan... Who I've met, she is stunning. Gemma Chan is Chan is stunning. Yeah. Uh Gemma Chan played uh Min Irva in Captain Marvel 2019, a Kree Warrior, and she'll be playing Cersei, one of the Eternals, in 2021. So Kevin Feige is having an actor play, two different characters in the MCU. Just saying, well, listen, I've been saying for a while that I thought that he could bring back Michael B. Jordan if he wanted to, to play T'Challa. I thought there was something poetic about that. But there is a fundamental difference though. Because they're able to do that with Gemma Chan, because what she's going to look like in Eternals, unless you told a lot of people that's Gemma Chan, they wouldn't recognize her. Right. Because of what she was. I mean, so there's like it's it's like saying, well, you know, Bradley Cooper did the voice of Groot or did the voice of Rocket. So they can't bring him back. Well, no, he could come back and play another role in the MCU, like because we would never recognize him really as the same character. Rob, do you see any roadblocks to that? No, <laughs> you know, actors, it's funny.
1: I go back. I, I, everything for me always goes back to the original Star Trek. And you had people like William Campbell, the actor. He played Trelane, this omnipotent being in the first season, very iconic character. And then they bring him back to play Captain Koloff, the Klingon in The Trouble with Tribbles. Same actor. It's not like he he was under makeup when he played a Klingon that you didn't know it was the same actor. And they did that frequently. And I think that. Uh, you know, if the character is different enough, I don't think it's distracting. I just, you know, it makes the special effects budget go up if they ever meet.
0: Right. You know? I I'm mean, it's a, it's a little different. Like, for, let's take Mahershala Ali, right? Right. Unless they do something really wacky with the blade makeup, he's going to look like Cottonmouth. He's going to look yeah. just like Cottonmouth. So, I mean, so how they deal with that, I don't, I don't know. But the Gemma Chan situation is a little bit different again because it just looks completely different. Yeah, I, All right.
1: I, it, it doesn't matter. It does, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that there's a reason they cast her because she had a small role, and I think they. She's a great actress. She looks great. I bet she makes a hell of an Eternal. So, I, by the way, John, can't we see something? Please show me something
0: from it's, the Eternals. It's still a year away. I know, but I want it, John. I know. I want it. I want it in you, my you, imagination For now. now, just keep looking at those shirtless pictures of uh, Kamel Nagiani There you go. That, that'll that just have to. Uh, can I just say again, though, the body <laughs> transformation that dude has gone through. Oh, yeah. Is ridiculous. Like just ridiculous. Anyway, let's uh, move on. Here. I would watch his
1: workout videos.
0: I, I, I have. He actually he did this little uh, this. Uh, th- he did this YouTube video talking about his whole process of getting in shape. It's actually I'll send you the link. It's actually really inspiring. All right. Next up. Uh, Shane writes, what do you think of Greenland going straight to uh, to places to purchase digitally tomorrow? What do you think this means for cinemas? I personally am excited for the movie, but would rather have watched it in cinema uh, from the trailer. Oh, yeah, I agree. I would have much rather the Greenland, of course, is the new disaster movie for uh, 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 Butler. Um, and it looks like fun. I mean, again, it's not Shakespeare, but it looks like a lot of fun. It's a big meteorite disaster movie. Those things can be a lot of fun. And yes, it seems like it would be the type of one that you'd much rather watch on the big screen with Gerard Butler dodging meteorites, I suppose. What does it mean for cinemas? Absolutely nothing. Um, Let's be honest, Rob. You and I have been talking about you and I both have had a level of excitement about this Greenland movie. Um, I know somebody that worked on the movie but let's be honest here greenland was never going to make 300 million at the box office Let, let's just call it what it is it was never going to it wasn't going to be a big it wasn't going to have a big footprint let's just say that so this is the type of movie that right now given the current context is the, exactly the kind of movie that you take and move on to streaming immediately so i don't think it's going to have any impact whatsoever rob what do you think
1: i think you're probably right although i've been surprised how good the reviews have been
0: for yeah. Greenland. Yeah. There's
1: it's getting a lot of, you know, even before this show, I it popped up. I watched Chris Stuckman's review of it. He liked it. They liked it. And the trades liked it. And people liked it. I mean, I'm surprised that the that, that a lot of of different critics are digging this movie, which, dude, if you have rocks falling from space, I'll watch it. I don't care what it is. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I'm the guy you could put deep impact and Armageddon on a loop and I would watch it for 24 hours. I'm in.
0: Yep. All right. Let's move on here. Next up, Mr. Kaplan writes, "Hey John, just wanted to show some love and also ask: as the date gets closer, are you looking forward to the Snyder Cut a little bit more? And if so, what do you hope to see in the film? Uh, much love as always, and happy holidays to you and Anne. And by the way, just again, Anne has no e on the end, just to let you know. Honestly, see, here's here's the interesting predicament I'm in. I am one of these guys that I like every single Zack Snyder movie, with the exception of Sucker Punch." Sucker Punch was not good, but other than Sucker Punch, I like every single Zack Snyder movie. And so, especially Man of Steel, and you've heard me go on and on about Man of Steel. So I am naturally looking forward to seeing what he does. Now, I also like the theatrical version of Justice League. Uh, uh, Here's an inconvenient truth for everybody. The theatrical version of Justice League has higher critic ratings and higher audience ratings than Batman versus Superman did. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. What's that? They're wrong. They're Uh, wrong. I I don't know. I I personally (laughs) like Batman versus Superman a little bit more, but I enjoyed – I enjoyed uh, with its issues. I enjoyed uh, the theatrical version of Justice League. And again, uh, higher ratings from critics and audiences. But because I like everything Zack Snyder has done, I'm looking forward to seeing what this different iteration of Justice League is going to be. That said – I think it's going to be dope. I, I, I don't know. I I don't know. But to be honest, and this is no fault of the movies. This is no fault of the movies. I find the more we get closer to it, all of the arguing and off-camera drama and the fan spatting and all of this stuff honestly is turning me off. And again, that's that's not – that's not the movie's fault. It's that it's so it's completely unfair. But I find just I, I hear I'm I'm actually to the point now that I even hear the term Snyder Cut and I feel fatigue. <laughs> you know, I feel like my soul gets a little bit fatigued at this point. And again, that is no fault of the project itself. It's just that with all the nonsense, it's just like it's almost becoming a sideshow circus act. And I just want, I just wanted to come out so I can just watch it free of all the noise around it, free of all the hoopla around it, free of all the, the, the controversy around it, because all of it honestly has become a bigger story than the project itself. And it's, it's becoming a detractor to it, to be honest with you right now. And, and I don't want it to be. So I don't know, Rob, what do you, how are you feeling about that right now? Well, it's like,
1: you know what, nobody will buy back a victory faster than fans will. And I think the Snyder Wow, Cut, that's
0: well said, well said.
1: <laughs> and fan, I mean, fandom allowed for the Snyder Cut to exist. And we should, anybody who's a fan, the power of fandom, the Snyder Cut's existence should be a, a joyful, happy day for a, anybody involved. Why anyone argues about it anymore? I don't understand. I mean, it is a victory, man. It is the It is the pot at the end of the rainbow. All of us fans, anybody who supported Zack Snyder through all this, especially the group, the organized group of people that that had charity events and raised money and, and, and held the torch for this thing, they won. It might be one of the most epic fan victories in the history of fandom. So why anyone is still pitching and moaning and complaining about it, I will never understand because – what a happy day. What a joyous occasion for everyone. You know, we, you and I were talking about who's going to pay for this. You know, that was the bi- the biggest obstacle to the Snyder Cut happening. We've been saying this from the beginning. It's great. It doesn't matter how, what state the movie's in unless someone's going to pay for it. It's never going to get made because there's no way that they can amortize the costs across anything. They can't make money back from it. And I knew, and I said this even on my own show uh, November November of 2019 I said you know what now there's an HBO Max and if there's one place that it could get made HBO Max could do it and they did it so rejoice my friends and now they say it's coming out in March we're going to see the Snyder cut of Justice League before no time to die, or die yeah no time to die I mean I can't believe it the world we live in is truly wondrous even during a global pandemic
0: even during a global pandemic. All right. Uh, next up, we got Mr. Kaplan writes. Um, oh, no, that was uh, Mr. Kaplan. Next, Ron Jeffrey, who writes, Hey, John, I've been watching your show for almost three years now. Thank you so much. I was able to watch Wonder Woman 84 in movie theater, and I like it more than the first one. Fan from Singapore. you know, And, of course, there's a lot of countries around the world that are already have access to it, which is fantastic. Again, the critic reviews of it have been great. Uh, the the audience reviews who've been hearing from it have been really great so far too and I'm, I'm very excited to watch it even though i don't get to watch it in a movie theater uh lizzie and peter writes also forgot to mention very good job with you rob and the other people that did your movie um that was our thanksgiving movie to watch oh thank you so much lizzie wow, that's Cool. yeah that is very cool thank you so much for that i really appreciate it and, I, and again just a, a big thank you to everybody who has taken the time to check out Uh, Check out our uh, documentary, Movie Trails of Love Story. Seriously, thank you to all of you guys for that. All right, next up, we got Shandy writes, Hey, John, Kathleen Kennedy is now doing a good job with the Mandalorian and the new Star Wars shows. So why would Disney move on her? I would liken it to an NFL team hiring a coach and watching him lose for two seasons and and then then firing him once he wins a Super Bowl. Here's the problem with the analogy, Uh, Shandy. And I see what you're saying, but here's the problem with the analogy is I think what what Kathy Kennedy has done right now is succeeded at something that is different from the things she failed at. You know, what she failed at earlier, and again, I always have to preface this. I am a big Kathy Kennedy fan. I think she is one of the best producers in the history of this business. Her resume is undeniable. Like you, you simply have to be an ostrich sticking your head in the sand to deny what an excellent producer she is. But she has just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at something else. And she has not done a good job, in my opinion, as a head of a studio. And that has really manifested itself in two main ways. Number one, her inability to come up with a long term plan when they got things started, which is exhibit A, the Star Wars sequel trilogy. It's great they got off to a great start. But if you don't have a plan, it eventually catches up with you and Rise of Skywalker was their come to Jesus moment, Mm -hmm. right? That that was the consequences of not having a plan. So number one, she failed to have a plan. And number two, she failed at what I believe is her most important responsibility, making sure her and the filmmakers she hires are 100% on the same page, that she understands exactly where they want to go and they understand exactly what she expects from them and she communicates that. She went through six projects with five different directors leaving. It's inconceivable, that level of futility. What she has done right now that is a win is she has now positioned the future of the Star Wars universe in a very, very good place right now with announcements like Ahsoka, um, the acolytus I'm so excited for. We obviously got the rogue squadron one. We've got the book of Boba Fett coming now that we know Mandalorian season two just ended on a high note and all that kind of stuff. And that is great. She has put everything in a really good spot, but those that success is not a direct relation to the failures she has had already. And I, quite frankly, I have lost faith in her, in her ability to, Chart out a long term plan and to make sure it executes right and she's exactly on the same page. It's great that her and Favreau have been on the same page. That's great. But she's just failed in too many things. And so I think this makes the best time for her to step away over the next year. You know that. Yeah, she had a rough start. But guess what? She got Star Wars into a good place. Everybody's excited again right now. That is a wonderful time for her to step away and allow a new head of studio to come in who will excel at getting all the filmmakers on the same page, who will excel at making sure everything is laid out and the plans are all airtight. you know. And so Kathy Kennedy can go out on a high note, get back to doing what she's really good at, which is producing. And then bring in a new head of studio. So that's that's where I'm thinking they're at, John. And that's, that's kind of what I think they should do. At any rate, Shandy, thanks a lot for sending that in. All right, John McKinney writes, uh, an argument that annoys me is that when somebody likes an older movie better than a current movie, they say you're stuck in the past or you're regressing. No, I'm not stuck in the past or regressing just because a movie is relevant doesn't make it good. Well, I mean, Rob, we talk about this all the time, right? It's... One of the things film we as film fans do, and we all do it. Every single one of you watching this right now does it. Every single guy on the screen right now does it too. But one of the most annoying habits we have as film fans, Rob, is pulling the old, we make excuses for why other people don't like the same things we like. Whether that's, you just didn't get it. No, I got it. And it just didn't work for me. Oh, you like the older one, not the newer one? You're just stuck on nostalgia. No, I just thought the older one was better than the new one. It is one of the most annoying, pathetic things that we as film fans all do is making up excuses why other people don't do it. What are some of the ones that you think of, Rob? When you think of like when there's disagreements in films, the the instant excuses people go to because it seems like we as film fans just can't handle hearing somebody say, oh, I just happened to not like it. And you did. That's fine. No. Well, then you just are biased. No, I just didn't. didn't. What's one of your favorite ones? (laughs)
1: Well, uh, this idea that because something is older, that somehow it's less good. And I, I've, I've never really understood that because, you know, growing up when I was a kid, I watched a lot of old movies. Like, like, think about it. If you're a kid in the eighties, a movie from the fifties was 30 years old, right? Well, if you're watching movies now, 30 years ago, was 1990. So think about all the movies that are quote unquote old. Back to the Future, Return of the Jedi. Do you think that those movies are somehow lesser than the movies that are coming out today? No. And I think that those kinds of arguments are they get silly to me. Uh, my favorite one is when when people tell me that they won't watch black and white movies. I want to grab oh, people by the yeah. collar and throttle them. Um, and I, I mean, I get it. I understand because, you know, nowadays, John, uh, especially if you think about the generation that's been born in the last 30 years, they have so much more, like they have so much more content to watch and to wade through than we did when we were kids, because so much more has been created since then. There's, there's twice as many movies that that there were 40 years ago. So the fact that you've got so much new stuff to keep up with that's contemporary that means something to you, it's harder, I think, to get people to go back into the past and watch things from different eras because they're not, it's harder to connect. You know, even the clothes and the fashion and the car. When someone picks up a, a telephone in a movie, If you're 20 years old and you're trying to get into a film and somebody picks up a phone, the first thing that pops (laughs) in your mind is like, boy, I wish they—I bet you they wish they had cell phones back in the day. So immediately it's kind of – it's harder if you're a modern audience member and you're trying to go back into film history. I totally have sympathy for people that have a hard time watching older movies because getting past those things is rough because as soon as someone picks up a phone or walks into a phone booth – you're like – first of all, you have to think like, what is that? What A rotary phone? They have to put their finger in and dial? And then it's, it's <laughs> harder to get back into the film when just everyday things from the, the past, which we don't have anymore, uh, it, it interferes in your ability to watch. And I'm always banging around about verisimilitude. But when you go back and you watch an old movie, there is none not for modern audiences there's no verisimilitude yeah. the hairstyles the f- clothing the film stock the music the cars it's all like wow so i i you know i, I feel sympathy
0: all right let's move on here uh next up we've got leo who writes hey john just want to say congrats on your new house and i loved your documentary happy holidays thank you so much got the keys to my new house gonna be moving in about six weeks we're gonna we're having some renovation done on it right now to just make it exactly the way we want it to be and yeah we're very excited it's our first house thanks a lot for that leo appreciate that man do you have a room uh, for me do i get to move in oh uh, we we very specifically kept a spare room we do have a spare room rob we got we got a bedroom for for me and Anne, we've got a, – a, one of the bedrooms is going to be Anne's office. We have another room that's going to be my studio. And then we've got a spare room for whoever needs to come out and hang right. out for a weekend, man, whenever Elizabeth wants to throw you out for a weekend. All yeah, right. All right. I'm Next sure up, will I'm sure it'll happen. Probably has happened already. Anonymous <laughs> writes, Hey, JC, in light of what happened with Chadwick Boseman, will studios like Disney implement contingency measures and contracts for talent with potentially life-threatening conditions? Maybe healthcare disclosure clauses that way they can better prepare. I'll be honest with you, Rob. I'd be shocked if that's not actually already there. I think because the insurance companies, here's the problem. Like all these big productions, they have to get insured. They insure them to the teeth. Oh yeah. And, Health stuff is stuff that insurance companies want to know, and that's that's why. I'll be honest with you, Rob. I I'm not. Kevin Feige is generally generally very straight up with the audience and his fans, but I don't believe Kevin Feige when he said that I didn't know about Chadwick Boseman's condition. I don't believe that. I, ha- I have no proof to say that's not true. And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. And I would understand why. I'm not blaming Kevin Feige because I, I understand why. But at the end of the day, when, when he says stuff like that, and even like the, the passionate stuff that Ryan Coogler's written, written, I just don't believe it. Because the insurance companies who are, who are really invested in this, they investigate this stuff. And they want to know what people's health situations are. And they want to know what's going to p- potentially cause them tens of millions, if not more, dollars. So there are already those things put in place, not by the studios, but by the insurance companies themselves that insure these productions. So that's kind of my thought on it right now, Rob. What do you think?
1: Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, if you're going to direct a movie or you're going to be the star of a movie, you have to go in and have it physical. Usually you have to actually have a physical. But all I I do believe Kevin Feige in the sense that I bet they didn't know how serious it was. Because when they made Black Panther That's possibility. or Civil War, you know, when he was checked out, he was fighting back. You know, he was in remission. He looked great. His doctors are saying, yep, you know, we've got it all under control. And it can go south really quickly. And I think that he put up – he probably fought so hard for so long – that eventually it just – it overpowered his system and and, and it, it, what happened to him happened to him. But um, uh, I, I, I think probably people didn't know how serious it was because at some point, you know, you want to – I think as a person, Chad Bozeman wanted to do as much work with the time he had left and I, I think he, he just – he knew he, – he didn't die in the middle of a movie. I think he knew that new the rock ma's rock bottom or whatever his last performance that the movie new, that's by the way, coming looks,
0: out coming out here in looks, the next couple of weeks yeah
1: it looks so good and I'm sure when he was making that movie I mean it looks like he's singing and dancing and doing all this stuff I I bet he he knew the one thing that sustained him is he's like I'm not gonna I'm gonna get to the end of this movie I'm gonna finish this movie and and I think you know knowing you have such a short period of time left you want to do as much as you can. And I think he probably might not have even been as forthcoming because that was what was keeping him alive. You know, and if someone said, well, you know, you're too sick to be in this movie. And he's like, no, 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 please, please let me finish. um, Maybe he just kept his condition. He didn't want people to dote on him. He just wanted to work like he always did. And he wanted to go out with dignity.
0: And I think he did that. No, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. Uh, All right. Next up, uh, Cameron Nelson writes, hello, John. If AMC ends up going under, what do you think will happen to the Burbank 16, the Burbank AMC 16? I love going there and I hope it remains a theater in some way. Lots of memories there. Thanks. Yeah. So the AMC Burbank 16, for those of you who don't know, it is a, um, it is like one of the, I think it's the number three busiest movie theater in North America. And it's, it's a glorious, glorious theater. I love it. It's about a 10 minute walk from my house. Uh, I love that place. But it is in a situation like most, not all, but most other theaters out there. AMC doesn't own that building; they lease it. It's part of the Burbank Downtown City Center, and they lease that building. Mm. And and now there are movie theaters out there where I'm sure the theaters own some individual properties, but for the most part, it's they don't own them. That's why right now, Rob, I can't remember. I don't think you were on the show with me the other day, but. One of the things that came out is that not only is AMC running out of money, but they deferred in 2020 because they couldn't afford the rent on all their theaters. They basically asked the landlords, the leaseholders, let us not pay rent right now and we'll get to you in 2021. Well, 2021 is now upon us and they owe $400 million to in overdue rent not to mention the new rent coming up and so what happens to buildings like that well i've seen some of these theaters close down and become targets I, i've seen some of these buildings close down and uh, a smaller movie theater chain will move in and buy up or, and take up the lease because they are constructed to be theaters so what will happen to something like a temple like the amc burbank 16 i'm not really sure it i have a feeling because of its key location it'll probably be turned into Something, um, uh, business wise, some 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 kind of retail, probably. I'm guessing. I don't know. Rob, what well, do you wait think a minute, is happen John.
1: Isn't the AMC 16 protected by Batman now? there's this
0: great Batman bronze
1: Come statue on. right in front of it, they just put it in a seven foot tall bronze statue of the Batman based on Jim Lee's art. They can't. It, won't Batman oversee
0: the Dolby Cinema, the AMC 16? Well, here I'll, I'll bring it up on screen. Here, there's there's that bat. That's me. Uh, I took a walk the other night because they just. It, for those of you who don't know about, it, right in front of the AMC Burbank 16 in downtown Burbank, they just put up this this gorgeous nine, yeah. 10 foot t- tall bronze Batman thing, and it is it looks good here, but you got to see it in person. It is Dude, unbelievable. How badass is that? Come on, that it's <laughs> it's beautiful. It is beautiful, and standing there with it is is really awesome and so anyway and it he, I, really
1: is right out in front of the theater because that's the yard house behind you so that's right yep. where the escalators are
0: yep I it's mean, right in front of the theater I, he's there well, overseeing comes, gotham's a lost cause he's overseeing and protecting downtown burbank now apparently you know
1: john john our viewers should know we that's where you and i saw the joker together
0: yes it how is how much
1: fun would it have been to come out of the joker to see that <laughs> statue
0: <laughs> that would have been awesome uh, i know but yeah, right? I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that somehow, some way, man, that they're able to keep uh, that theater open and alive. But, hey, listen, guys, it is uh it's, it's past 1130. So, Rob, we we know you have things you got to do and uh, things uh, place you have to go. So thank you so much for being here today, man. Where, in the meantime, can people follow you and all of your wacky goodness online?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram uh, at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me on my own YouTube channel. The Burnett work, and if you're in areas around the country, a movie I produce, Tango Shalom, is going to start playing at Jewish film festivals near you. One of them is the Charlotte Jewish Film Festival in February. We just were able to announce that. This is the first time I've announced it publicly anywhere. So there you go.
0: You have worked on that film for so long. (laughs) You have worked on that movie for so long. It's so great that it's getting out there. Tango Shalom. (laughs) Everybody go and check it out. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, and I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Have a good one. All right. Thanks a lot. All right, guys, that is the awesome, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. We still have some time here, guys. So let's keep on going uh, through your questions. Next up, we have a question from Shane Bennis, who writes, did James Earl Jones uh, record new dialogue as Vader for the rise of Skywalker, or was that an unused recording referring to the very brief Vader line uh, in your head? uh, That was actually Palpatine talking to Kylo at the beginning of the film. I believe I heard that that was actually James Earl Jones, that they did actually get James. So that scene when Kylo is hearing all these different voices and realizing all those voices was the voice really of Palpatine, which is a stupid thing for them to do anyway. Um, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was James Earl Jones who actually re who actually recorded that line from the movie. I believe. All right, next up. Uh, Prince Akeem writes, prequels are better than the original and sequels. Oh, that's nonsense. Get that out of here. Anyway, question. To be honest, now is the best time to start a new Star Wars trilogy. With current characters established, writers have more freedom to move boldly, uh, to move boldly. Concept, Ray starts good, goes gray, and ends Sith in the third movie with a final fight versus Finn who tries but can't stop her fall. Here's the problem. They'll never do that. They They have decided they are going to move on From the the Ray, Poe, and Finn thing. They decided that a long time ago. There's there's no point right now at this point in history. The audience is just too divided over the Ray, Poe, and Finn collection. It started off great. The Force Awakens is fan freaking tastic. I love that movie. And I like The Last Jedi things about it that I don't, but overall, I like it. And then The Rise of Skywalker was total and utter crap. So you have this descending quality thing, and it divided the audience. And so why, if you're Lucasfilm, when you could make a Boba Fett series, or you can do a brand new Rogue Squadron series, or you can do an Obi-Wan series, or you can do this new thing with the Acolyte, why would you go back to a property or a portion of your property that completely divides your fans, and uh, has a lot of baggage attached to it right now. That's probably not something they're going to do. And uh, I I don't think now is not a good time to do it. And I don't think there's ever going to be a time to do it, to be honest with you, Just, just to be honest. All right, double crit rights. Uh, there's a lot of talk about who the next Black Panther should be, but why has nobody brought up Wakabi? Uh, why is that? D- uh, Danielle C- Daniel Kiliu's character can fight, lead, and he seems like a great fit. Plus, the actor is very popular, uh, more so than Winston and Letitia, in my opinion. Um, he was He was a minor character who was a fabulous actor. Daniel's a fabulous actor. I love him. The character was very weak-willed. Very quickly betrayed his best friend, betrayed the country, and even when it became apparent that T'Challa was alive and by by law is still king because he didn't submit and he wasn't dead, so by law T'Challa was still king, and Wakabi still decided to betray him and fight against him and break Wakandan law, and he's a he was really portrayed as more as a minor character, so I I really can't see that being um. I don't see that being an option for them, really. I mean, Daniel's a great actor, but you you do not make the movies to surround an actor. Hey, Daniel's a popular actor. Let's base our creative decisions over the fact that Daniel's a popular actor and let's make it around him. You don't do that. That's how you come up with really crappy things. That's what happened with The Office in its final couple of seasons, right? So Steve Carell leaves The Office, and when Steve Carell was leaving, You know who the most popular actor was at the time? Ed Helms. Ed Helms was the most popular because that's when The Hangover was completely hot, right? The Hangover had just come, had been out. It was a huge success. Ed Helms is the big star right now. Okay, so who do we make the new focus of the show? They should have made it Jim and Pam or Dwight or the three of them or whatever. Instead, they go, who's the hot actor? Ed Helms. And that was a total disaster for them. Not Ed Helms' fault. I'm just saying making that Andy character the new focus of the show wrecked it. Now, they quickly realized it was a mistake and they changed it and they made Andy no longer the focus of the show. And it got better before the show ended. But still, that was a disaster. But that's exactly kind of what we're suggesting here. You don't. You don't base it on who's the hotter actor right now. Let's build our movie around that. That's that's not how you make good movies, man. That's not how you can make good movies. All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes, if Spider-Man 3 really is going to have different universes, the final post-credits scene should be in a universe where we haven't seen yet, where they're all worried about the portals popping up everywhere so they can call their greatest hero Night Monkey. I am not ready to give up on Night Monkey. The Legend of Night Monkey has to survive the legend of night monkey has to survive yeah and by the way we don't know how they're going to handle this whole multiverse stuff we don't know are they going to handle it like they handled it in avengers Are they can handle it like they handle it in spider-man into the spider-verse it's hard to say but either way we are owed as fans we deserve Night monkey, damn it. We deserve night monkey. All right, next up. Uh, Yak Attack writes, R.I.P. Jeremy uh, Bullock, a.k.a. the original Boba Fett, your embodiment of Fett through uh, fleeting though fleeting in the movies laid the foundation of a fan favorite character whose presence has grown over the years. Yeah, so for those of you who might have missed that, the original actor who was in the Boba Fett armor in in Empire Strikes Back and uh, Return of the Jedi uh, passed away, which, I mean... It it just seems like our Star Wars original Star Wars cast is just we're losing them at at an insane rate at this point. I mean, we've now lost uh, Prowse and we've lost the laundry list is huge and uh, losing the Boba Fett actor was another blow. Now, granted, nobody knew who Jeremy Bullock was outside of the hardest of hardcore Star Wars fans. I, I understand that, but it's yet another part of our history that has passed on. And and thanks for bringing that up, Yak Attack. All right, next up. I saw Wonder Woman 84. It was my third favorite DCU film, but it was wonderfully okay. The plot is bad. It's slow at times, Minimal minimal with action. I think it's... Uh, I think it tries too hard to have heart at times. The action was good. Pedro stole the show. Good movie for the family at Christmas. Well, at least that's a positive review, man. Again, I have yet personally, I'm not saying they're not out there and I'm not saying they don't exist, but I have yet to hear anybody say straight up that saw Wonder Woman 84 say I didn't like it. I haven't heard anybody say they didn't like it yet. It's all ranging from, yeah, it was pretty solid. Two, it's absolutely fantastic. Like, that's what I keep hearing. So I, I'm hoping I feel the same way, man. I'm hoping I feel the same way. All right, Willow, Willow writes... I'm not a medical doctor, but I feel fairly confident saying that the chances of the COVID vaccine turning. <laughs> I, I, I got some people giving me some grief about this. I feel the chance of the COVID vaccine turning people into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is zero. However, if it did, would you at least be slightly tempted to take it? So, of course, I was joking about that the other day as I said, who knows? Maybe we find out people take the COVID vaccine. and It turns us all into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I mean, and that is a possibility. Um would I be tempted? No, no, not in the least. I mean, you'll feel really cool for five minutes that you're a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And then the reality of what you now are for the rest of your life would probably become pretty hard. So, no, I would not, Willow, be tempted to take the vaccine if I knew it turned me into a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Although I'm sure there are all some there are some who would. All right, Becca writes, Hey, John. Although there were a lot of great announcements from Disney, uh, there were almost they were almost all known IP. At the end, Iger said, and there will be some originals, as if a second thought. Does this mean the end of original stories or franchises uh, starting films? Well, no, not at all. I mean, even if you look in just within Star Wars, right? If you even just look within their Star Wars announcements, they have very established stuff. We've got Obi-Wan coming. We've got the Book of Boba Fett coming. We've got Ahsoka. So already established things. But we also have the Acolyte, which is a totally new and original thing within that Star Wars world. We've got Rogue Squadron coming, which is set after the events of the Rise of Skywalker. So we're going to have all new characters and maybe some familiar elements, obviously, but we're going to have a whole new story. So... Even if you look within just Star Wars, there are brand new original things coming in the midst of other recognizable uh, IP that are already there. So I think the same is going to be true across all of the Disney board. We're going to have Disney is going to be very much about the things we know and recognize, but they're also going to throw in new things to build new franchises from, right? You can't always just rely on the same franchises. You got to start some new franchises. So I believe they're going to do that at the same time. Oh, special thanks to Daniel. Who just sent in a super chat sticker. Thank you for that, Daniel. Appreciate that, man. All right. Thanks for sending that in, Chewbecca Next up. Love the name, by the way. Uh, Patrick uh, Conway writes, I loved all four MCU trailers. division was weird. Falcon and Winter Soldier was badass. But the Loki trailer was brilliantly chaotic. I love the score. Eerie comedic tone. I would love it if it ends with King Loki of Midgard. I don't. I mean, who knows? Who knows what they're going to do with that? And you're right. The MCU stuff, uh, the trailer they stuff for the MCU was great. It really was great. Um, And and they were all so, they felt so different. The WandaVision teaser is so different from the Falcon and Winter Soldier teaser that's out there. And the Falcon and Winter Soldier teaser is so different from this Loki teaser that's out there. They did a really good job. And uh, I'm really excited to see finally start to see some of this mcu disney plus stuff it's going to be really cool to see all right uh jojo giraffe writes um team tom all the way i assume you're talking about tom cruise Uh, he was totally justified he absolutely was honest question though is it possible that they couldn't be fired on the spot because they are union making it more of a process for them to be fired Uh, i'm not trying to take away from what tom did no no, see, here's the thing. Even within union, within union rules, right, there are absolutely fireable offenses, even within un- union rules. Now, I'm sure that a union. So for instance, what these guys did that Tom Cruise caught them doing was clearly a violation of the most important rules going right now on movie sets, COVID safety protocols. And they were multiple time offenders. So that is something you can just fire the manager. Now, what can happen later? Now, I'm no union expert, all right, but this is just my understanding of it. The union can file a grievance for firing somebody for something, but I, like to me, that is a clear cut and dry. That's a fireable offense. If Tom Tom Cruise would have been completely justified to just walk in a movie that's already been shut down a couple of times because of COVID. Saw a couple guys again breaking COVID uh, COVID protocols. He would have completely justified just walk in the room and say, you and you, leave. You're fired. I just caught you breaking COVID protocols. Fired. You're out. He didn't do that. He was far more gracious with them than I would have been because I would have screamed and yelled at them for putting my – Project on the line and putting my health at risk and putting the lives and the health and the jobs of everybody that worked there at risk I would have like blasted them and then fired them Tom Cruise decided to let them keep their jobs He's a much more gracious man than I would have been in that situation You put your, your co-workers lives and jobs at risk. I'm sorry. You're gone like that. You are gone Cruz decided to make his point abundantly clear and then still allowed them to keep their jobs. Uh, to me, the the amount of graciousness that he showed them was way above and beyond, way above and beyond. Uh, but no, there are certain, even with unions, there are fireball offenses and that would have easily been one. Uh, Mr. Beast writes, Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams, William Shatner and George Takei, uh, Nathan Fillion and uh, Santa Kadic. Have you ever had the enjoyment taking out of a movie or a show uh, because you found out co-stars dislike or hate each other. It happened to me with the ABC show Castle. Nah, never did. Like I, I've known for a long time. I think a lot of Star Trek fans do that. George Takei and William Shatner do not like each other. Like they said, that goes all the way back to the original series. But you know what? It doesn't in the least. When I watch, you know, a star, one of the old Star Trek movies, and you see Captain Sulu talking to to William Shatner and all that. Kind of, doesn't take anything away from it for me. I mean, I'll think about it for a minute. It's like, yeah, hey, you know, in real life, they actually hated each other. Like when you watch Mad Max, Fury Road, Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron did not get along on that set. They very actively do not like each other, but I can still go back and watch that. And it doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't affect me. At all. I don't care if they get along off camera. I don't care. I don't care if they're banging off camera. I don't care about that either. All I care about watching is, do they have good chemistry on camera? And if they do, great. That's all I need to know. And I love seeing Sulu and uh, uh, Kirk together on camera. And it's fine. But no, nope, never bothers me when I found out co-stars didn't get along. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it doesn't bother me too much. All right. Quincy writes, one of two, Killmonger isn't redeemable, yet Loki is. Oh, my God. Please tell me you're not comparing Loki to Killmonger. Please tell me you're not about to try to compare these two completely different characters. Okay, let's keep reading. Everything you said about him applies to Loki. No, it does not. Homicidal, uh, genocidal maniac, wanted to kill the world. Loki did launch a war on New York, tried to kill the king, the king's Thor and Odin. He did not. Actually, he did not try to kill Odin. He did not. He very specifically did not try to kill Odin. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Killed warriors, betrayed Asgard. He also indirectly caused the downfall of Asgard by banning his father to Earth with uh, amnesia, where Odin died shortly thereafter. Actually, it was all prophecy. Ragnarok was coming to Asgard regardless. Just, just point. In fact, Ragnarok was coming to, uh, to, uh, Asgard regardless and going to earth. Isn't what killed Odin j- just so it's clear. The movie made that clear anyway. Uh, yet he is now viewed as a semi good guy in multiple sequels and his own show yet. Killmonger isn't redeemable. Okay. This is actually rather ridiculous. The Loki character and the Killmonger character are so radically different. First of all, let's look at Loki. In through one of the things that makes Loki such a great character is that he is not a cut and dry good guy or bad guy. Right. The, and that's always been the case. That's one of the reasons why we liked him so much. Like in that first one, when it came down to it in the first Thor movie, and we all thought that he was about to he was trying to arrange for the death of his father. He really wasn't. He didn't. He loved his father. He was mad as hell at him but he loved his father. And all he wanted to do was look good in his dad's eyes. And so he set up this big thing going on with the ice, with the frost giants to try to show his dad, look, look, I am worthy. I saved dad's life. He set that all up just so he could save lives. He never wanted his father to die. There were many occasions when Loki, if he wanted to kill his father, he could have what he was, was an immature, broken character. That felt like he just lived in his brother's shadow and always felt like he had to better him and all that kind of stuff. And yes, at some point he very begrudgingly gave the order for uh, the—I I keep forgetting the name of the, the metal monster—but to kill to kill his brother. But even that was done begrudgingly, right? What I'm saying is, is that Loki was a conflicted character. He was always conflicted about what he was doing. But he always let his worst demons kind of prevail and and he would do really stupid things. And guess what? There comes a point when we're talking about the redemption of, like, say, Killmonger. It is one thing. He did have a little bit of kind of a connection redemption with T'Challa, right? Like when he's dying, T'Challa understood his pain and felt bad for him. He did. And if T'Challa or if uh, Killmonger had lived, you could have a character You could still have a character who maybe even T'Challa forgives on a certain level as his cousin, maybe even tries to be there to support him and in some way tries to turn his life around. You could have that. You could theoretically have that. But the difference between like Loki and Killmonger also comes just from the straight up madness. Killmonger, make no mistake about it. He wasn't just trying to impress everybody or anybody. He wanted to commit genocide on the world. He wanted to start a world war. And he loudly proclaimed in the movie that, you know, not only will I kill my enemies, but I'm gonna we're going to kill their children. We're going to go out and we're going to kill all their children. And like all that, there's just a different level. Now, also, when we talk about the quote unquote redemption of Killmonger, it's often in the context of whether he could be the next Black Panther and King of Wakanda. Right. And my argument has never been whether Killmonger could have a slight change of heart and see the error of his ways. Any character can do that. Any character can do that. But in terms and in the context and in the scope of Can you have a full redemption arc where he now becomes the embraced, acknowledged, and beloved king of Wakanda again as Black Panther? And I'm sorry, but the narrative they have set up makes that completely impossible. And by the way, Wakanda is not Asgard. Wakanda isn't Asgard, and they don't have the same rules. So I'm sorry, but they're trying to compare the situations. and, And by the way, do I think... Loki, you know, in in new Asgard would just be embraced? Probably not. No. But the idea that Killmonger, who broke all the rules, who murdered tons of Wakandans, who tried to get Wakanda into a world war, who wanted in a bloodthirst kind of way, wanted the death of everybody and their children and wanted to subjugate the world and it was out of a bloodlust comparing that to loki is is oversimplifying it i'll just put it that way it's oversimplifying it but again when i talk about the redemption of um of killmonger it always comes up in can he be the ne- can killmonger be the next black panther and the next king of wakanda that's always the context in which it comes up I believe you could have a, a series, maybe theoretically, where Killmonger comes back and he's, he wrestles with what he did. He now feels remorse for what he does, and he's trying to live better now. I can see that happening in terms of a quote-unquote personal redemption. But just the way they've set up what the rules of Wakanda are and understanding how that would all work, again, from the groundwork that they laid with Wakanda in Black Panther – That kind of redemption that he comes back to be Black Panther and is now king of Wakanda, that would just can't happen. That just can't happen. Um, Yeah. So that anyway, again, Quincy, massively different stories you're telling here. These are two massively different scenarios and different stories. So, yeah, that's why I don't agree. I don't agree. But, hey, maybe others do. And that's that's cool. All right. The Wakanda Forever writes um heard any good jokes lately i remember the paul rubens Wee herman controversy oh i remember that when i was a kid uh it was the first time i ever knew of a celebrity scandal as a kid i didn't understand the details i just knew Wee got in trouble what is your first celebrity scandal i think that might be my first one is two hold on a second uh paul rubens caught let me i, I got to see what what was it 91 yeah in 1999 for those of you who don't know peewee herman paul rubens the actor in july of 1991 paul rubens was arrested for indecent exposure in an adult theater in sarasota florida florida the arrest set off a chain of reactions nationwide media attention and changed the general public's view of paul rubens and peewee herman yeah so i guess he went to like a, a porn theater and was caught masturbating in a, in a theater and got arrested for indecent exposure i think to me that was also the first one i can remember i maybe there was other ones before wakanda forever but peewee getting caught with this peewee that is one that kind of uh that, that is one that stands out as well that is one that absolutely stands out as well all right just have a couple more minutes left here guys rated row writes hey john and rob big fan ever since i saw your rant on the cw superman uh two birds with the kids priceless uh, how awesome to have a Jim Henson storyteller with Billy Dee telling stories of his youth, where Donald Glover acting out the flashbacks. Your thoughts? I'm I'm assuming. Are you? Was is Justin Simeon's a Henson storyteller? Is that what we're talking about? I assume we're talking about the the Lando limited series that they're talking about. Uh, unless I miss something, I have not heard anything saying that Billy Dee will be in it. Uh, I haven't heard any official confirmation that Donald Glover will be in it, and I know it's being showrun by Justin Simmons, uh, or Simmons, who did uh, Dear White People and used to be a publicist for Paramount Studios. Actually, that's where I knew him from. Uh, but I, I had no idea if he was connected with Jim Henson at all. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not really clear on what it is we're talking about. Rated Row. Sorry about that. When you write in again, just make sure it's a little bit more clear. Um, what it is specifically that we're talking about, because that, that would make life a whole lot easier on me trying to answer the question. All right. Uh, next up, we've got um Boris writes, one of two. Hey, John, Jennifer Lawrence was someone who quickly became one of my favorite people in the industry on and off screen. She's incredibly talented. Uh, she took the world by storm, a bit slow in first class, but freaking nailed it in days of future past, a true redemption story. Uh, since then, it felt a little lackluster. I didn't like Red Sparrow. Found it boring. Uh, yeah, I did too. But her performance is great. That's all she can do. I mean, the act, the actors don't write the movies. We we a lot of film fans. We keep forgetting that the actors don't actually write the movies, right? All they can do is go in and play the character they're given as well as they can. And I thought, I agree. I thought uh, Red Sparrow was underwhelming. I agree with you. I I thought it looked great, but it turned out to not to be so it wasn't garbage but it wasn't all that good but jennifer lawrence's performance is great she totally gave up after days of future past i'm hyped adam mckay's upcoming don't look up yeah that sound the cast of don't look up is amazing anyone who you think at some anyone who you are at the same point with thanks giovanni well one of the people right now in hollywood that i think is is really ridiculously talented but they were at a super high point and now we've all just kind of forgotten about them is Michael Fassbender for a period of time. Mike, uh, by the way, also associated with the X-Men properties, right? For a period of time, Michael Fassbender was like at the top of his game and at the top of Hollywood. Like he was one of the hottest names in Hollywood. And then something broke. It, it, it just goes to show you that if you're you, you've got to have good agents, Um, you've got to have good agents, because even if you're a terrific actor, if you if you appear in stinker after stinker after stinker, eventually what happens is the audience no longer trusts a film that you might be in. They may no longer uh, trust a film that you're going to be appearing in. And I would say one of the movies that it started with for me, like one of the worst movies I've seen in the last five years, Um, two, probably two of the top five worst movies I've seen in the last five years are both Michael Fassbender movies, maybe even three, maybe even three Michael Fassbender movies are like three of the worst films I've seen in the last five years. One was a light between oceans. That movie was awful. It was supposed to be a awards bait kind of thing, but it was absolutely terrible. And then he did Assassin's Creed, a movie that had the promise to bring video game movies into a golden age. And it is one of the worst movies ever made. It's so bad. Now, then he appeared as a robot in the, uh, in the alien uh, in alien covenant, which, I, I it is what it is and then he did this real really bad film I don't know if you guys remember this one or not he did this kind of like murder mystery movie called the snowman and it, it's another one of those movies that looked absolutely incredible and fantastic because I, I love these murder mystery kind of things oh my god I, I don't know how this movie got made It is so unbearably terrible, like absolutely phenomenally terrible. You would have to work hard to make a movie be as bad as snowman was, which is, you know, unfortunate and everything. And really, what is it? What has he done since then? He did X-Men dark Phoenix, which was a, you know, a loss to a lot of people. He's got Kung Fury two coming, Uh, Next goal wins that he's doing with Taika Waititi, if I'm not mistaken. That could be a nice comeback for him. He's doing that also with Elizabeth Moss, Army Hammer, uh, Rachel House. So that one one could be good. It's being directed by Taika Waititi, so hopefully it's good. Um, But yeah, right now, it is crazy how, much like Jennifer Lawrence, hottest things in the world for a while. And then you hit a couple of really lackluster movies. This is why having a good agent is important. This is why picking the right roles is important because you can be a great actor if you peer. And I still think Michael Fassbender is a tremendous actor. He's great, but people don't care about Michael Fassbender anymore. And that's so unfair. Yes, but that's life. They just had seen him in too many films that they've hated. And it just kind of sucked the air out of it for them, I suppose. All right, guys, listen that will do it for this installment of the John Campius show thank you so much for being here guys and listen there are still some questions left to go like from Drew Russell uh, B Wayne uh, Abdullah algadam and a few others so what I'm gonna do here guys is tomorrow, even though tomorrow is saturday here on the john campia uh, youtube channel we're going to do a companion video and we're going to make sure every one of your questions that are still outstanding gets answered and we're going to do that and put that up in a companion video tomorrow so keep your guys' eyes open for that special thank you to all you guys who did send in those live questions because number one you gave us great fun things to talk about but number two you supported this channel while you did it and all of us here associated with the john campia show thank you guys very very much for that okay guys remember Do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.